Good morning. How are you doing? Colonial Heights campus? Good. Hey, I want to welcome you this morning. I also want to welcome anybody watching over our live stream on our website. Thank you guys for joining us as well. Uh, Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Andy Huff. I'm not the pastor of arts and crafts, as some people call me. I'm actually the creative arts pastor, and there is a difference, although sometimes it kind of feels like that might be what it is. Uh, actually, what I do here at our church is uh, oversee a lot of the creative media that gets produced, uh, and also uh, kind of oversee our communication strategy as a church. We communicate a lot over two campuses, and so uh, my role is kind of overseeing how we do that uh, and producing some of the creative media. Uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, information about me, I'm married, I have two young kids, I went to school at Liberty University, and also got a master's degree uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, and la- the last thing you probably need to know about me as we go on, first off I'm going to turn the TV on, how about that, uh, last thing you need to know about me before we go on uh, is I am a huge nerd. I mean, really, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge nerd. Um, I, uh, I know you think it's not possible because you're like, hey, look at you, Andy. There's no way that you're such a big nerd. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it's true. I'm, I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I was in uh, Star Wars, Batman, Marvel superheroes. I was into all of that stuff before it was cool to be into all that stuff, right? Uh, I've, I've been just a big fan of all that kind of stuff for a long time, and uh, growing up, uh, we, I had two brothers, and we were surrounded uh, by all that kind of nerd culture. Uh, I'm not uh, a Star Trek fan, uh, by the way. I'm not that big of a nerd, okay? <laughs> just wanted to get that out there. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you spent your Friday night, but I spent it reading up on uh, all of the developments, uh, specifically with the Star Wars panel at the San Diego Comic-Con this past weekend. That's how, like, literally hours of just reading it. That's how big of an... You know, and I could go on and on about uh, me being a nerd and talking about... How about if I just show you how big of a nerd I am, okay? Yeah. Uh, you see this? You see it? Yeah, it lights up. Okay? That's right. I, I used my own money to buy this. <laughs> and, uh, and I've worn it more than once, and not just on Halloween. So, uh, And if you don't know what that is, then we can't be friends. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm actually, so I'm really big into superheroes right now, probably because it's kind of everywhere in our popular culture. But also, I have two young boys who are also really into superheroes. Uh, and so I can't, I'm sure I don't have to tell you how fortunate my wife is to be surrounded by all of those superheroes. Um, also, between like the ninja weapons and the shields and magical hammers in my house, uh, we're pretty well protected. Uh, so if a global threat occurs, uh, our, you can come to my house. We're going to be able to uh, fight off anything. You know, being a fan of superheroes and, a, and kind of being an admitted nerd, I, I've watched a lot of superhero television shows and movies, and I'm actually really interested in the psychology behind it. Why, why is this so compelling for our culture? And so I was kind of looking up some articles, found out there's like even books written on this subject. Um, but I don't know if you know this, but modern superheroes are not really a new invention. Superheroes have been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, our modern superheroes may run around in tights and fight crime, but they're really just the ancient gods uh, recast in modern day. 
And, you know, if I uh, were to describe a story to you of a man who, was, uh, who had almost unlimited power and you would find him soaring through the sky, who would, we, who would you think I was talking about? Superman, right? Well, that also describes the Greek god Zeus. Superman is actually based off of the Greek god Zeus. And a lot of our modern heroes are based off of a lot of the Greco-Roman gods from those ancient cultures. You know, the Greco-Roman society was the society the New Testament uh, was written in. That was the society during that time. So mythology itself has been something, this this thing where we create these mythologies and these stories is, is something that's been around for so long and goes across so many different uh, race and geogra- geographic borders that people have been like, why? Why is that the case? And so there's, there's been a lot of study there, a lot of different theories. There's one that I think is really good and I think is the most accurate one, and it's by a Swiss psychologist, Carl Jung, and he puts it this way. These, these stories, whether it's Greek or Roman gods or superheroes today, all these stories, you see them throughout human history and across all these different uh, cultural boundaries because there's some certain things, this is how he puts it, there are certain, we as humans share certain innate unconscious psychological forces. Whew, that's pretty deep, right? Uh, we share, here's what that means, we, it, it doesn't matter who you are, because you're human, we share certain things that we're going to think s- certain ways together. We're going to share emotions together, things that everybody uh, experiences or thinks. There, there's just certain ways that we're wired as humanity. And watch this. Because of this, here's what I think. Here's what I'm going to on, tag onto this idea. We like the idea of superheroes we like the idea of these, these super-powered individuals who are fighting crime or saving the day because there's this thing in all, inside all of us across all these different cultural and geographic and race boundaries that yearns for someone to come save us, that yearns for someone to come right all of the wrongs in our world. This is built into us. It's ingrained into us. Now, you might see where I'm going with this. Man, we love Batman, we love Iron Man, we love all these stories because they go and they solve problems, they right wrongs, they save the world. Those stories are compelling because it presents us with a situation where something bad is going to happen. Now, if you haven't seen Avengers Age of Ultron, I'm going to spoil it for you, okay? I'm sorry. It's been like, what, two months? You should have seen it by now. That's just my opinion. Okay, so, so like an evil robot's going to drop a homemade asteroid onto the earth to wipe out humanity, right? Something bad! And then we need a team of super-powered individuals to come and save us. The Avengers! Right? And what happens? You don't have to have seen the movie to guess what happens. The good guys win, right? They win! They save the day! That kind of basic story, something bad's happened to humanity, we need someone to save us, that person saves the day... I, I think that's so ingrained in us. I think, because most superhero movies follow that, that formula. They're all literally the same, right? But we keep going back and we keep going to these stories about these heroes that save us because this archetype is ingrained in our brains and because it's our story. Because this is the story of the Bible. Man, the story of the Bible is something bad is threatening us. Our fate, sin, is going to destroy us. And we need somebody, somebody with power to come in and save us. 
We need somebody with power to come in and right all of the wrongs. We're compelled by these stories because it's our story. This is our story. I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Romans. Or if you have a tablet or iPhone, find the book of Romans in the New Testament. We're going to be starting in chapter 12, towards the end of chapter 12. Uh, But go to chapter 12 right now. That was kind of a long setup for what we're going to be looking at today. But I really want you to understand how deep this yearning for justice is for you. How deep this idea that we need someone to save us is to us. Because it's going to play into what Paul's about to show us in the book of Romans. But he, it's, it's kind of crazy when we look at it because he takes it in a direction I don't think any of us are, are really thinking about when we think about this idea. Now, a little bit of background. When Paul writes the book of Romans, he's, he's writing to these Christians in the city of Rome. And they're right in the middle of this society that has a lot of superheroes in it. Uh, there are over 200 Roman gods that we know of by name uh, that came out of that society. And so this idea of superheroes is very much around them. Um, and, but then they also are living at a time when, uh, when, when things are kind of dicey for Christians. Okay? Now when Paul writes this letter, full-blown persecution is not happening. Imp- the, Nero is the emperor in Rome. And in a few years, he's actually going to like, start persecuting the Christians for real. Really terrible stuff's going to happen. But when Paul writes this letter, it's not quite as bad yet, but it's still kind of a shaky society. There is a lot of distrust for Christians at this time. And so it's not uncommon during this time for, for a Christian to be pulled out of their home, to be tried and then punished, sometimes executed, because, simply because of what they believed. Okay? So, so they're living in a really tricky situation where, man, there is a lot of wrong that's being executed against them. And they, like us, have this sense, man, no, that's not right. We need justice. Someone needs to come save us. But in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 17, Paul writes this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot to observe in this passage, so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to break this thing down. We're going to observe some things out of this passage. And so let's just jump right into it with this first section. Paul, first up, says to the Roman Christians and says to us, Hey, seek peace with all people always. Seek peace with all people always. Look at the first two verses again, 17 and 18. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good or honorable or noble before all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. You know, I'm going to break off a little bit and say something right here about this passage. Uh, He says it twice. All people. All people. All of them. Every single one of them. Not the ones you like. (laughs) Right? Not the pretty ones. Okay, not, uh, not the ones who have the same interests. Live peaceably with everybody. Everybody. Okay, the Christian, the non-Christian, the Democrat, the Republican, the uh, male, female, the uh, 
the uh, Muslim, the whoever, right? Whoever. All people. It's very inclusive there. and He doesn't give us any uh, other options than all people. Now, this is, should be pretty obvious, this idea of, man, seek peace always. Live, 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 you know, try to have peace with everyone. But I really think this is hard to put into practice for us because, remember, and I think this is true, we have this really deep yearning for justice, and I think this deep yearning for justice is greater than our yearning for peace. I don't think we yearn for peace as much as we yearn for justice, right? And part of that is because I think we probably, if we were to talk about it, would think, man, justice is what brings about peace. So yeah, I have a yearning for peace, but the only way for peace to happen is for there to be justice. Which, by the way, is true. True justice will bring true peace. But here's the problem, okay? There's actually an inherent problem with a lot of our superhero stories or a lot of the mythology of, uh, of ancient gods, and that's this. Superheroes often are human, and the ancient uh, gods were often patterned after a lot of human characteristics, which meant they all shared one common thing, and that is they were flawed. They were flawed. They weren't perfect, or they aren't perfect. Humans are flawed. We're not perfect, and what that does is it means we can't gain the true justice. We can't. We can't be a part of making that true justice come about for this reason. All too often we find ourselves on the wrong side of that justice. You and I wrong others as much as they wrong us, right? That's sin. We are all sinners. We, are all, we have all sinned. We wrong others as much as they wrong us. So, we can't achieve this true justice for ourselves. So, what does Paul do? Well, Paul's going to address justice in a second, right? He's going to say, hey, I, got, I get it. There's a thing in you that says, hey, things aren't right. Things are really wrong, uh, and they need to be made right. I, I'm going to address that. But first, we have to deal with whether or not that's your job. And it's not. So you need to pursue peace. Make peace a priority. Now, I, I really would have loved to have been with the Roman Christians at this point, hearing this letter being read, because they're sitting there think, thinking about their context. Wait. So you want me to make peace with my neighbor when I'm living in a really kind of dicey situation? I mean, like, I don't know if my neighbor's going to come over and try to beat me up or, sent, or, or have me sent to jail. And you want me to make uh, peace a priority. And he's saying, yeah, I want you to treat everybody with respect. I don't want you to fight back. I want you to make peace a priority. I want you to make peace with your neighbors. Now, so they're already struggling with it because of where they live. But get this, they're also struggling with it because of how they grew up. See, the Roman Christians, or really Christians in general in that day, a lot of them were Jewish by heritage. And so for the Jews, they grew up and operated under the Old Testament principle of justice, which is this. It's from Exodus 21, 24. An eye for an eye. Right? You wrong me, you get wronged. That's their system of justice. And so Paul's coming in there and saying, hey, not only do I know where you live, and I know right now you're having to deal with a lot of this, but also I know how you grew up. And this is going to be, seem totally foreign to you, that the concept of justice that I'm telling you now is not an eye for an eye. It's not when someone wrongs you, you retaliate. That's not what we do now. 
Now, now we say don't repay anyone evil for evil. Now we say make peace a priority. And I really think this should strike us too. Because now we don't live during the time of the Roman Christians. So we don't have people beating down our door to pull us off to jail yet. You know, you could probably have, we could probably sit back and say, man, when is that going to happen? Because it kind of feels like it's going to happen soon. Um, but right now we don't. But man, this yearning for justice, it's inside of us. It's really deep. Um, and it's really ingrained in all of us. You can't tell me that if, when you're not driving down Interstate 95 and some dude flies past you at 100 miles an hour, that you're not sitting there thinking, man, I hope there's a police officer on the other side of that hill. <laughs> right? Oh, man. And then what happens when there is? Yeah, there is, and he got him. Justice, right? Oh, the greatest feeling in the world, (laughs) you know? That's our instinct, man. We want justice. We want wrongs to be righted. We want that cop to grab that guy. Man, if somebody wrongs us in business, man, we want to take him to court. That's our instinct. Fight back. Man, if my friend does me wrong, man, I'm, I'm taking it to Facebook, right? retaliation. And Paul's saying to us, no, no, don't fight back. Don't fight back. Make peace a priority. That's what we do now. Now, Paul knows us. He knows this sense for justice in us is really, really strong. So he doesn't want to just leave it there. He doesn't want to just say, hey, you need to make peace a priority. He wants to carry, keep going with this. So here's, here's what he follows with. Leave the justice to God. So he says, hey, seek peace always, but I know there's this justice thing in you. But here's what I'm going to tell you about that. Leave the justice to God. Look at verses 19, or, or verse 19. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't avenge yourselves. I'm really sorry, guys. It means God said we couldn't be an avenger really takes the wind out of my sails. I don't know about you. It's a lifelong dream that's been crushed. I can't be an avenger? No. No, don't avenge yourselves. You know, um, before we go any further, I I do want to point this out, although I think hopefully you've caught on to this because this will provide a little bit of context for us. Um, Paul, at this point in his letter, doesn't stop to say, oh, by the way, by the way, you're going to get wronged. Surprise! People are going to do you wrong. Okay, he doesn't say that. Now, he doesn't have to say that because earlier in the book of Romans, he does make the point of saying and helping us understand that all people have sinned. All people are sinners. So by this point, the expectation is that you're going to get wronged. You know? And, and it, I always find it strange when we as Christians get, get so shocked when we see sin in the world. Get so surprised when we see wrongs. And when we see people being wronged, because it's one of those things where Paul's sitting there going, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. You, you live in this world. You are going to be wrong. We're, we're starting there. We're starting with that assumption. And you know why I think we actually get shocked about it? Um, I don't think it's not because we don't think that there's sin in the world, right? But there's that, there's that thing inside of us. It's snow. No, it shouldn't be like that. That's wrong. So that thing inside of us is what gets, is, is all of this, this sickness and fighting in our world. It rubs up against that thing inside of us that says, 
we want justice. And, and we don't know how to deal with that. It, it, we don't know how to reconcile that. Because whether we admit it or not, because I think some people don't want to admit this, whether we admit it or not, our world is broken. People are broken. You're going to be wronged. And man, it's deep inside of us that we want things to be right. We know that's not how it's supposed to be. So God gets that. God understands, man, that he put this thing inside of us where we know things aren't right. We know something has to be done. And he understands we want justice. And he promises justice. He promises justice in this verse. Now this is actually a quote. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament here. In Deuteronomy 32-35, it says this, I will get revenge and pay them back at the time their foot slips. For the day of their disaster is near, and the impending judgment is rushing upon them. Now, it doesn't say this is what the Lord says, but it is implied that this is what the Lord is saying about those nations that are going to uh, do wrong against the nation of Israel. And so this sounds really great, right? This is God saying, I'll get revenge. I'm going to pay them back. And we're like, yeah, get them, God. Right? But we got to... I want you to see something really interesting about this uh, verse in the context of the passage. Deuteronomy 32 is actually a song from Moses uh, to the nation of Israel. And the purpose of this song is actually to warn the nation. The purpose of this song is actually to say, hey, guess what? Uh, if, if you, and really, if you look at the nation of Israel and their history, it should be when you disobey Man, that's not going to be good. When you disobey God, when you walk away from Him, when you turn to other gods, it's not going to be good for you. It's a warning. Because, then it goes on to talk about uh, the other nations who will, who will do wrong against the nation of Israel. And then it says this, because God's vengeance, He will get it. He will take revenge on those who reject Him. And here's why it's a warning to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is in danger of being on the wrong side of God's vengeance. Because here's the other observation we can make from Deuteronomy 32 and really the whole of the scriptures. God's vengeance is sure. God's vengeance is going to happen. There's nothing that's going to stop his justice. You know, uh, it kind of makes me laugh when I watch superhero movies because, again, all of them are usually the same. And, uh, and usually, this happens in a lot of movies, right? A great story. About two-thirds of the way through the movie, if it's like the Avengers or if it's just like an... Man, there's like bad stuff's happened. Everybody's fighting, you know. It, it, now friends hate each other. About two-thirds of the way through the movie, you know they're going to they're gonna give you something that may, tries to make you think that the hero's not going to win, right? Things don't look right in this, you know, two-thirds of the way through the movie. But then, magically, by the end of the movie, everything comes back together, and what happens? We save the day. Woo! We win. The Avengers win. You know, they come back together. They fight the bad guy. Uh, you know, it's not the same with God. You know, when you're watching a movie, and it's like, oh, no, I don't know if the heroes are going to win. There's, there's no time you're reading the Bible, and you come to a point where, where God's like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to win this one, guys. You know, God's not like, God, ah, I don't know, it's too far gone. I can't save the day. No, God's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to win. You want to be on my side, trust me. He never gives you the indication that he's going to lose. All we have is God's, God's going to win. He's going to have his justice. He's going to have his vengeance. And what, what the warning to the nation of Israel was, what the warning to us is, is you don't want to be on the other side of that. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God's vengeance. 
because it's coming. Um, you know, a good example of the Romans passage where Paul is saying, hey, guess what? Vengeance is the Lord. Don't worry about it. Don't try to take it into your own hands. A good example of that from the Old Testament is King David. Uh, King David is kind of a superhero in Israel's history. He does a lot of cool things. But before he became king, David found himself in a conflict with uh, King Saul, who was an Israelite king who had walked far from God. Okay? He was going to find himself on the wrong side of God's justice, Saul. And so David is on the run from Saul. But David also knows, by the way, in the middle of this, that he is God's chosen successor to Saul. He knows God's chosen him to become king. The kingship is rightly his, because, by the way, when God chooses you to be king, then I'm thinking, you know, you know who's going to argue with God? Uh, David knows he's, he's going to be king. And this is the crazy thing about David, okay? He's given, in the Old Testament, two opportunities. Twice he's given the opportunity to take vengeance into his own hands. And watch what he does. In 1 Samuel 24 is the first time. Saul's, David's on the run. Saul's chasing him. David and his men are hiding out in a cave. Well, Saul comes into the cave, the Bible says, to relieve himself. Okay? And David's, he doesn't know David's in there. And so David literally finds Saul with his pants around his ankles. Literally. His back to him. And David's right there. He has the opportunity to strike down Saul and take the king, take the throne. Take the crown. He can do it. But he says this. It's not my call. That's not my responsibility. Vengeance is the Lord's. I'm not going to do it. And he spares Saul's life. Right? Yay! Woohoo for David! Made the right choice. In 1 Samuel 26, David goes to Saul's camp with one of his men. And he sneaks into the camp at night. They find Saul asleep on the ground. And it says, Saul's men are all around him. This is how, like, really tough David and his men are, <laughs> right? They're heroes, man. His, his men are all around him. They sneak right in and find Saul. That's how good they are. This is the fun, that's not even the funny part of the story. Here's the funny part of the story. They find Saul asleep on the ground. His spear, Saul's own spear, jammed into the ground right next to his head. So, I mean, in one move, David can grab the spear up and bring it back down and take the throne. It's his. Okay? It's so, it, it's such a setup for him to take his own vengeance. The guy that's with him is like begging him to do it. I can just imagine they're like have, trying to have an argument while whispering, you know? Because <laughs> again, all of Saul's men are around. You know, he's like, do it, pick it up. Pick up the spear. And remember, they're living in the Old Testament times, right? So, so their system of justice is eye for an eye. Saul's done enough to show or to give, to, to give David the impression that this would not be wrong. This would be within David's rights, within David's, uh, within, uh, David's sense of justice. And here's what David does. He does what probably few of us would do. He says, no. I'm not going to kill Saul again. Vengeance is the Lord's. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine being, being given the opportunity 
to do wrong against another person. Now, when I say do wrong against another person, here's what I mean. After they've done wrong to you, and this is payback, right? This is pay. I'm giving, the opportunity for payback is right there. How many of us would take it? We take it. Let's take it. Payback. So, I'm thinking the first time, you know, that's a pretty big temptation. For David, twice, twice he's given the opportunity to take his own revenge on a silver platter, and he doesn't do it. And Paul's saying, you shouldn't do it either. Vengeance is the Lord's. That's the Lord's responsibility. Now, Paul, uh, uh, Paul knows, all right, he's set this thing up where he says, hey, you've got to make peace a priority. You can't take your own revenge. And so where does that leave us? What do we do? Paul says we do this. When you're being wronged, do right. When you're being wronged, do right. Verses 20 and 21. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this is where I think Paul's totally lost it, by the way. He's totally lost it. He's off his rocker, okay? He doesn't know my life. He doesn't know what's going on right now. I'm being wronged. That other person is wronging me, and that's just wrong, right? It's somebody's got to make it right. I've got to make it right, because deep down inside of us, remember, there's this voice that's crying out for justice. This isn't right. It needs to be made right. I can't just ignore that voice. You know what I'd like to do? Okay, so you may have said, may peace a priority. Okay, I get it. All right, I'm going to seek to be peaceful with my neighbors. Got it. Okay. Then Paul says, hey, vengeance is the Lord's. And I'm like, okay, all right. God's going to take care of it in the end. Doesn't make it any better. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just curl up in a ball and wait for uh, the Lord to take his vengeance. That would be a great thing to do. And Paul says, no, actually, you can't curl up in a ball and just wait for the Lord to, uh, to take his vengeance and to take his justice. Uh, actually, you have to get up out of that ball. You have to go to the person that's wronging you, and then you have to express love to them. See what I mean? He's totally lost it, right? Paul is totally crazy. I actually have to respond to the person wronging me, the person doing me an injustice in love? You mean when my ex-spouse is being a jerk? I buy him dinner? You mean when my boss throws me under the bus again, I bring him his favorite espresso drink? You mean when my teenager cusses me out, I walk right up to him, give him a big hug and, hug and tell him how much I love him? That's what you're supposed to do. You're su- it's not just about ignoring the injustice, ignoring the wrong. It's not about fighting back against the injustice, fighting back against the wrong. It's about actually responding in action, in love to that person. That's what Paul is telling us to do. Now, I, I have to admit something to you. I uh, chose to preach on this passage this morning because this is something I'm really bad at. I'm really bad at this. Aren't you? Man, I think one of the reasons I love superheroes so much is because I, I really grab onto this idea of justice. Man, I want to see rights or wrongs righted. I want to see things that are wrong in this world made right. So not only am I being told, man, I've got to ignore that inner yearning for justice, put it on hold, say, hey, it's not a bad thing, 
but vengeance is the Lord's. You need to seek peace. But now, I have to, not only do I have to put that on hold and say, okay, that's the Lord's, I have to seek to honor the person who's being dishonorable to me. That's what I have to do. Man, because I don't want to do that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. Now, before we go any further, I want to point something out with this passage, uh, with this verse, actually, uh, verse 20. The idea of heaping burning coals on his head, because sometimes I think that can get misread. That uh, kind of reminds me of the phrase, uh, or the, the idiom, kill him with kindness. Have you ever heard that? Man, you're going to kill him with kindness, right? That's what we do to our enemies. Uh, I think we misunderstand that point, because again, remember, there's this yearning for justice. So here's where I think we kind of get off track a little bit. Is we go, okay, all right, I got you. Yeah, I'm going to act really kind. Like, really kind to this guy. Um, but I'm not doing it for any other reason than... I want everybody else to see how great I am and how bad they are, right? Because then nobody will be their friend, everybody will be my friend, and justice is served. Oh, man, we got right back there, right? Right back to the justice thing, okay? So this heaping burning coals on their head, I, I want to explain that because I, want us to, uh, I don't want us to, get to stumble up here. This is actually another Old Testament quote. This comes from Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. It says this, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now the Old Testament readers would have understood this uh, reference because it was an Egyptian practice actually. And this imagery to them was meant to represent something. It was meant to represent the pangs of conscience. Okay, That their act of love toward their enemy would, do, would be something that would sear their enemy's conscience, that their enemy be, would be awakened to this injustice that they're doing and have the opportunity to repent and ask for forgiveness. Okay, that's what this, this, uh, this idea is. And notice in that Proverbs passage, by the way, that the, the audience for this is the Lord, not others. You're doing this in front of the Lord. And it's for this reason. We love our enemies to give them a chance at redemption. Not for our own satisfaction. But for the satisfaction of the Lord. Not for a, a, a sense of our own justice. But for what he's trying to do. Which is reconcile us all. Okay, That's why we act and respond in love. That's our responsibility. Let me put it this way. Your role in the story is to be the one who does right. Your role in this story, this, this epic story that spans across time, is to be the one who does right. We're not the ones with our fists up ready to fight. We're to be the ones with our hands out, ready to love, ready to accept, ready to give a drink, a meal, And, and guys, this is, you know why this is difficult for us? Because right here is where the rubber meets the road on this idea. Right here is where it gets tricky. Because, let's be honest, that's not really what we want to do. You know, loving our ex-spouse or expressing a love towards our ex-spouse or expressing love towards an evil boss or expressing love towards a disrespectful teenager, that at our core, that's not really what we want to do. We want to fight. That's why we go to these movies, right? It would have made sense 
At the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, for the Avengers to say, here's how we beat Ultron, we're going to hug him. <laughs> right? No, we don't want to watch that. We want to watch him beat up all the robots. That's what we want to do. We want to fight. But Paul's saying, no. No, your role, your role is to be the one that gives the hug to the, to the person who doesn't deserve it. Yeah, you're right. They don't deserve it. But your role is not to take out vengeance. So, you remember how I said these superhero stories are compelling to us because there are, it's, they're so similar to our story. It's, it's so similar to the, at what's at the core of the gospel. I want you to consider this story, the gospel. A hero is sent to earth to save humanity. A broken humanity. A sinful humanity. This hero is perfect, blameless, has access to all the power in the universe. He has the power to right wrongs, the power to achieve true justice. But while he's here, he's wronged. Lied about, beaten, strung up like a common criminal. And at the climax of the story, at its darkest moment, when he's hanging on the cross, you know what happens? I, I've been reading the, the crucifixion stories of my family in the Gospels, and this is pointed out in multiple uh, versions of the story. The people that are standing there yell at him, hey, if you're the son of God, if you're the hero of this story, jump down from there and prove it. I mean, right there, in that moment, he's hanging on the cross, he has the choice. Because he can do it, right? He could jump right down off the cross and take his vengeance. Vengeance, justice, that's deserved. But what does he do? He does the most heroic thing anyone's ever done. He doesn't fight back. He says, no. Vengeance is the Lord's. My role is to let them murder me. My role is to forgive them. My role is to love them. Jesus didn't was the only one of us who, who never wronged anyone. The only one of us who didn't deserve to be wronged. The only one of us uh, who could have taken justice for himself and he chose not to. He didn't fight back. Now, I could leave you there, right? We could walk away from this and we could say, great, fantastic, have a great rest of the week. Uh, you know, make peace a priority. Don't take your own revenge. Uh, vengeance is the Lord's. Do right. But I kind of felt like I needed to give you a little bit of pointers on what doing right is. Because uh, I actually don't want you to run around hugging people because that's just weird. Yeah. Uh, don't go hug your enemies, right? <laughs> I mean, unless, you, have, unless that's the, you feel like that's the thing you should do. But what, is, what, what do we do? What's this right thing we can do? What do we do that's right to our enemies? And I want to point you in a couple different directions here at the end to help you with that this week, okay? Number one, right before this, uh, this passage in Romans, Paul actually goes through a list of some, of some different actions that we can take to express love to our uh, neighbors to other unbelievers, to other believers, and it's things like prayer, devotion, showing hospitality, all those kinds of things, okay? So there's a lot of good ideas there, and I would encourage you to go read the entire chapter of Romans chapter 12 today uh, to see that. The second, though, and probably greater idea 
in terms of the right that you can do towards your enemies is this. Let's look to the one who was always right. Let's look towards the one who always did right. Jesus is our guide in knowing how to respond to others in love. We just follow his example. We just do what he did. Make the same choices that he made. Speak the way he did. He's our guide, and I'm, I'm sorry. If you don't know Jesus, you, you can't play your role in this story. You can't play the role of the one doing right by your enemies without knowing Jesus. So here's my challenge for you today is don't leave this morning and face your enemies, okay? Don't leave this morning, because that's the challenge, by the way, right? We don't leave this morning and go home and curl up in the couch and do a Star Wars marathon to prepare for December, which is what I'm going to do. Uh, <laughs> right? We don't do that. We, we go and we go find our enemies and we do right by them. So don't leave here and face your enemies without first dealing with your relationship with Jesus. Because without him, without Jesus, you're, you're on the wrong side of God's vengeance. You're on the wrong side. And you can't love those on that side when you're standing right there with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. Um, Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather here today to open your word, to discover more about you. Father, I want to thank you for um, the fact that you have sought to reveal yourself, so much of yourself to us through the scriptures. And that, Lord, we can get a sense, number one, of who we are in this yearning for justice that we have, but also who you are and the fact that you desire to, see, uh, to seek justice on our behalf. Father, we, we thank you for that. And, but, Lord, I pray um, for anybody in this room who finds themselves on the wrong side of your vengeance, Father, we pray that, uh, that, that, that their conscience would be seared, that they would um, really consider where they stand with you. And that, Father, today would not end without them first dealing with that issue. I pray for those of us who, who have trusted in you, who, uh, who seek to do right, um, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would um, help us to, uh, to follow him closer, to pursue him deeper, so that, Lord, we would know in those moments um, where we're being wronged the, the appropriate way to respond. Father, we thank you um, for how you've blessed us. We pray that in the midst of us loving our enemies, all of the glory and the majesty would go to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.